Welcome to Rawson Connection, a podcast about all things Lehigh Engineering. Coming to you from the PC Rawson College of Engineering and Applied Science at Lehigh University. It's a show for students, alumni, faculty, and staff, current, former, and future, and for anyone who's interested in the many creative ways that engineers are solving the world's problems. I'm your host, Christine Fennessy. Today, we're talking about broken bones. Specifically, how a virtual engineering technique can quantify how well a fracture is healing or not healing. My guest is Peter Schwarzenberg. He's a PhD candidate in the Department of Mechanical Engineering and Mechanics. And he's published several papers with his advisor, Dr. Hannah Daly, on a technique they've developed to predict healing in tibial fractures. And just a quick reminder, your tibia is your shin bone. Last year, Peter was awarded a grant to study in Switzerland at the University of Zurich's Musculoskeletal Research Unit. The grant was funded by the National Science Foundation and part of the new Institute of International Education's Graduate International Research Experiences Program. Peter was one of just 10 students chosen from across the country. Altogether, he spent seven months in Switzerland developing new mechanical models for callus. Callus is that bony tissue that forms during fracture healing. I first spoke to Peter last summer before he left for Switzerland for a story about his award and about how he got interested in research as an undergrad at Lehigh. And I caught up with him again during the first week of this fall semester. Peter's path into grad school and into this area of research was a bit unusual. But as you'll hear, big, fulfilling life decisions aren't always planned. So you came to Lehigh in a partial scholarship for cross-country, right? Correct. Okay. And so can you just talk a little bit about the kind of experience of being a student athlete at Lehigh? It's a lot of work, but it's, it's a great experience. You have a community. Your team is like a family. It's great coming in with a group of people that you know. Our coach, Todd Edders, was great. Every time I run into him on campus, it's 20, 30 minutes of just standing on the sidewalk chatting with him. Well, and so can you just also walk me through, like, what does a typical day look like for you back when you were on the team? Right. Um, so it's it's pretty filled as far as what I was seeing other peers doing. Um, you have the normal class load, you have homework, you have studying, but you also have the hours from about four to seven dedicated to um, your sport. And then after that, you're rushing to get to the dining hall and than generally trying to get homework done, going to the library or going to a, another dorm to study for a test that's coming up. And you said before when we were talking that sometimes you would have two a days, practices twice a day, is that right? Right. Well, we would have two runs a day. So we'd be on our own in the morning. We'd have to get up early and go for a run before classes start, get breakfast in, and then go off to class for the whole day. And then four o'clock would come around again and we have to go to the other side of the mountain for our regular team practice. Got it. Okay. And so you were a cross country runner and then you ran track as well. What was your distance on the track? So in track, I would do 5K or steeplechase, which is a 3K race. Okay. And for those who might not know what steeplechase is, can you just describe it? So steeplechase is the event that I think Everyone loves watching. It's definitely the most popular distance event to watch because there are these big hurdles on the track that you can jump on. You can actually step on these hurdles. 
And once a lap, there's also a water pit. So a lot of people are familiar with people falling in the water pit, and that's why it's probably the most popular one. All right. So you eventually left the team. So can you tell me why why did you leave and what was the unexpected upshot because I know there was an unexpected right. upshot that came with that of leaving right so as I think is the case with a lot of student athletes I was injury prone I spent a lot of my years injured here at Lehigh and it was it was a lot of work to try to rehab and try to come back from that and I was seeing it cutting into my academic side and the options I had on that side as well and so at the end of my junior year, I decided not to come back for my senior year for sports. And, and was that a difficult decision to make? Yes, it was an incredibly difficult decision to make. It was one of the hardest decisions I've had to make up to that point. Uh, but it was definitely the right decision for me. It opened up a lot of opportunities, a lot of free time to pursue other things. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit more about what those opportunities were? Yeah. So um Another undergrad and myself, he was also on the team. We started this independent student project and we found ourselves really liking what we were doing. And that was really my avenue into research. And what were you making? So we were making a portable device to help paramedics start intravenous catheters or IVs. How did that sort of redirect your path at Lehigh, that experience with this project? Right. So this was going into my senior year. And I already had it in my head that I was going to, I was done with school. I was going to get a job. I was going to move into the working force. And I actually had a job signed in Seattle at an aerospace company. I had an apartment signed already uh, by, by that fall. And working on this project, we, we continued to work on this project all the way through the spring of my senior year. And we were working with different professors at Lehigh, working with different people to try to make this device. And one night we, we got it working, which was so cool to us and so rewarding. And I realized at that point that I really liked making new things. And that's where I started thinking, okay, I think research is the way I want to go. And when you had this revelation, was it, was it in the fall or the spring of your, of your senior year? So this was in the spring. I think it was around April. It was mid-April when I started thinking this way. And... So that is just a little bit on the late side, isn't it, maybe? Correct. That is very on the late side to decide that you want to stay and continue with grad school. Okay. So, you, but to this point, you had the job lined up in Seattle, you had an apartment. And so how did that route get diverted? What did you do? So I was talking with our faculty advisor at the time and he had went to grad school at Lehigh. He knew the process and he really encouraged me to start reaching out to different people and have this conversation, whether it's what I think I want to do or what opportunities there are. Um, and so I started talking to different professors. I eventually spoke to my current advisor, Dr. Daly, and we were talking about her research and it was really interesting. It was in the same sort of field that I was interested in and she offered me a position in her lab, and that's what kicked the whole the whole thing off. Okay, so y you have this idea that you want to get into 
research, and you've connected with Dr. Hannah Daly, and she is an assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering and Mechanics. Mm-hmm. And so what was it about what she was doing, what her lab was doing, that really spoke to you? So her lab, and at the time and still now, is a biomechanics lab that focuses on orthopedic trauma events. So when you break a bone, when you have a fracture, how does that heal? How, we, how can you predict the healing? How can you help get better outcomes? And one thing that I find so cool about it, and at the time I did as well, was it, it is biomechanics, it's in the bio world, but it's so mechanical. It's so based on everything we learned as undergrads here in mechanical engineering. And it's just in a different context. It's, it's mechanical engineering in the body. And that's what I thought was so cool. Okay, so so can you just describe your trajectory as a research from when you started with Dr. Daly in her lab to what what landed you in Switzerland last year? Right. So with my research in Professor Daly's lab, we developed this new technique. And while we were at a conference, we were put in touch with this animal research group that is from Zurich, Switzerland. And we were given sort of a tryout, a trial period where they gave us some data and we performed our analysis and they were really impressed and they really liked what we did. And that really kicked off a collaboration between our two groups. And then this um, NSF grant, which is the National Science Foundation, came up that would fund me to go to Switzerland for up to six months. And we applied and I got it. And that is how I was able to go to Switzerland to work on this research. And what were you doing specifically in Switzerland? The goal of the research, and this is across my entire dissertation, is to better quantify the new tissue that forms when a fracture heals. So it's really difficult to develop techniques and validate them on humans because you can't physically test the bone and you can't get a cohort that's very clean like you can in an animal study. And so we were using their expertise in animal experiments to validate this method and help make it more translatable to the clinical setting. Can you just describe the technique that you and Dr. Daly developed? What was the technique and what problem was it solving? Right. So the technique we developed uses CT scans to build 3D models of what's actually happening after you get a fracture. And from these 3D models, we can do computer simulations to simulate different loading scenarios and try to determine how structurally sound your bone is, how well healed you are. And this is really important because currently the standard of care is just an x-ray or multiple x-rays at different time points. But it's really hard to visualize what's happening in 3D from an x-ray, and it's even harder, if not impossible, to determine um, how structurally sound a fracture is from a simple 2D x-ray. Why is better quantifying this tissue that forms after a fracture, why is that an important thing? What does that mean for the average person who does have a fracture? Right. So with our research, we hope to be able to better predict healing outcomes and better predict what a patient's needs might be while they are healing. That could be whether or not they need to have a follow-up surgery to have something changed or just be left alone because it looks like they're healing fine. And being able to tell that, especially at earlier time points, can help save tens of thousands of dollars if it's another surgery and 
years of recovery time if something might go wrong down the road. Can you give me like a hypothetical example of a person who might benefit from this? So so say I break a bone, I break my, my shin bone, and I come in. Uh, can you kind of walk me through how your research intersects with my experience as a patient? So the current standard of care, if you broke your shin bone, would be have multiple x-rays at different time points. And the problem with these x-rays are they're just a 2D image, and it's really hard to to interpret what's happening in 3D space and even harder to calculate structurally what's going on. And our technique would give surgeons and doctors the possibility of building these 3D models and actually measuring what's happening and and putting a number of how healed you are compared to um, where they think you should be. So for example, they would be able to tell you, we think you're about 75% healed at this time point, which is looking very good. It looks like you're in a good trajectory to heal at a normal time. Or they might see you're only healed 10%. We're a little worried that you're healing too slowly. We're going to keep an eye on it, but we're probably going to have to do a follow-up surgery. And that's the possibility that our research could give clinicians. Right now, it's not a clinical tool. It can't be used in a clinical setting, but the possibilities are there for sure. Can you just walk me through what happens when you break a bone? What happens normally and what happens when there's a problem? Okay. So when you normally break a bone, at first you get a hematoma, which is just like almost like a scab that's inside your body. And eventually this becomes more structured and um, more cartilaginous. And as time progresses, that healing region starts to calcify and starts to turn into bone. And eventually it will remodel itself to look exactly like old bone. Bone is one of the very few organs in your body that can remodel itself to not have a scar. So if healing is successful, your bone will look just like it did before you fractured it. However, there are issues with healing where the calcification won't quite complete and you'll never get back to where you were. So a lot of times you'll see a gap between the two bone fragments if the cartilage never fully calcifies, or you'll see smaller gaps, but it'll never fully heal. And that's what we call a non-union or a malunion. And these are caused by different things. They could be different risk factors such as smoking, or they could just be from something going wrong in surgery, whether the bones weren't quite lined up perfectly or the implant might have not been the best implant to use. And so these are real issues that happen, and they can lead to very detrimental healing outcomes. If a doctor knows a non-union is the case, how do they resolve it? So there are no standardized treatments for dealing with non-unions. It's really up to the surgeon's discretion. And there are, there are options. There are revision surgeries. There are different techniques that you can do without performing another surgery, just trying to stimulate, stimulate the healing. But there's no unified agreement on how to deal with them. And some of that is from there's no unified agreement on how to measure them. They don't quite know what's going on, so they're not quite sure how to tackle it. Okay. And, and just so I'm clear on what this means, it, how common is this that bones don't heal? So it's not very common, but it's common enough. So in the tibia, it's, a, it's between 8 and 11% um, go on to a non-union. But 
that sounds like a low number, but if you think about it, that's one in 10 people that fracture their shin bone will have some difficulty healing and getting back to normal use. Okay. Okay. And all right. Well, can you also explain a little bit about the institute that you were at in in Switzerland? Because this, this place is really, it's pretty famous, right? Right. So I was going to um, the Musculoskeletal Research Unit at the University of Zurich, or MSRU. It's a world-renowned uh, large animal research facility. They specialize in doing different orthopedic models, so either sheep or goats to model bone in sheep, or if you want to model cartilage, you do that in goats generally. And Zurich itself is really known as a hub for orthopedic research. Zurich and Switzerland are known for a hub of orthopedic research. And maybe you can just explain a little bit about why is it so important to to do this research on animals? Like, Why is this the only way that this particular research can be done? Right. So... The, the biggest advantage with animal research in this field is that you can do physical mechanical tests to measure exactly what is going on after a fracture takes place. And this isn't something you can do in humans, and it's next to impossible to get a um, cadaver cohort that you would be able to re- replicate these kind of tests with. And by doing this on animal models, Um, we can validate techniques that are translatable to humans that can be used in the clinic in a non-invasive way. So one thing that you can do in animal models is you can give every animal the same injury and measure them at the same time points and in the same way. And in humans, even in cadaver models, it's very difficult to find a cadaver that had a fractured tibia, you know, 12 weeks ago and, and, know what their care was over those 12 weeks. And that's a good thing that, that humans are um, all very unique in their healing process and the surgeons do a very good job of trying to figure out what's going to work best. But all those differences make it harder to get a baseline measurement. And then so with the animal models, we can get that baseline measurement and show what our technique is actually measuring. And that way, when we translate it to humans, we know we're not measuring an effect that maybe a surgeon had um, put into a, put into play earlier in the healing process. Now, did you get home before the pandemic started? I did. I got home a couple days before Christmas. So how has the pandemic affected your research? So our lab has been very fortunate since we are almost entirely computational that we were able to continue doing our research. Um, but we're in a very unique position where we were we did not have any delays or hiccups because of the pandemic. Oh, that's great. So where are you now with the research and, and what is the next step? So the next step for the research is trying to better quantify the new tissue that forms during a fracture. So when you fracture when you fracture a bone, a new tissue will form most of the time that's called callus and it's this like spongy material. And eventually that will calcify and then remodel and reshape into looking like your pre-existing bone. However, at early time points, no one's quite sure what the material properties and the mechanical properties are of this tissue. And we're in a very unique place where we have large cohorts of animal models that have this tissue. And we also have the physical measurements that accompany them. 
So with those two things, we can start to develop material models for this tissue and then eventually translate that to what we see in humans. Okay, and so if, if you better understand the properties of this callus tissue, then you can better understand the rate of healing and like give the patient a better sense of how far along the healing process they are? Right. The better able we are to model and simulate this callus tissue, the more accurate predictions we can give to patients and also the the larger range of patients we'd be able to help with more diverse tissue types. What would you say to a student now who might be on the fence about whether grad school is worth the time, worth the extra expense, you know, just just is really weighing that decision. And so I'm just curious what you would say to them. So I would say reach out, reach out to if you have a favorite professor or if you know a grad student or you know of an undergrad who's doing research in someone's lab, even if they might not be in the field or the exact research you want to be doing, just reach out and get the conversation started. They'll know exactly who to point you to, and they'll know exactly how you can start getting incorporated with the different research that's going on. You know, when you look back and think you were very close to being in Seattle, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like how how do you feel about the fact that you're sitting, you know, in a room in, in Bethlehem right now? How do you feel about the decision that you made? Um, I feel like I made a great decision. At the time, it was a very scary decision, and I had to sort of trust myself and trust those around me that were giving me advice. But at the end of the day, it was absolutely the correct decision. That's it for today's show. Peter Schwarzenberg expects to graduate from the PhD program in Mechanical Engineering and Mechanics in May. And no, he does not know what he's going to do next. The independent student project that Peter mentioned, the one where he and a fellow student developed a portable IV device, that was through the Baker Institute for Entrepreneurship, Creativity, and Innovation. And we'll have a link to the Institute on our webpage. Rawson Connection is produced by me, Christine Fennessy, with support from the Dean's Office at the PC Rawson College of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information about academic programs and to find our show, head to engineering.lehigh.edu. Music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. If you like this show, please subscribe. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Send us story suggestions or feedback on Twitter at Rawson Podcast. Thanks for listening and stay safe.